1,500 cheeses in France. How on earth are you going to be able to taste 1,500 cheeses? Well, I don't know if I'll ever be able to finish this project, but I will die trying. (laughs) Bonjour, this is Fabulously Delicious, the podcast that brings you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food here in France or around the world. They cook it, produce it, talk, write and photograph it. But above all, they love it. Cheese in France, it's a topic for a whole podcast on its own, I'd say. But I love the fact that I get to meet and bring people to you to discuss French cheese because they love it as much as I love French food. Today we are talking all things Cantal, and I hope I pronounced that one correctly. We'll find out later. A cheese that's both a raw milk cheese and a pasteurised one. What does that mean? Where's Cantal from? And what makes it stand out from the apparently 1,500 other odd French cheeses that there are in the world? Well, today's guest has made a living out of knowing about French cheese, amongst other things. Jennifer has so much fabulous knowledge about French food, culture and cheese that I'm super excited to bring her on to Fabulously Delicious. So let's just get right into it. Jennifer Greco, thanks for joining me on Fabulously Delicious today. Thank you, Andrew. It's really nice to be here and talk to you about one of my favorite subjects. Oh, cheese! it's one of my favorite as well. But before we get into all things cheese, uh, I wanted to talk about you for a little bit, if that's okay. You were born and raised in, is it Spokane? Spokane? Spokane. How do I pronounce that? Spokane. Spokane. I'm terrible with pronunciations. Where is Spokane? Spokane is in eastern Washington state. So it's about a five-hour drive due east of Seattle, Washington, which is a place most people know. And so what would you say is the most special part of Spokane? That is a very good question. <laughs> um, uh, actually, it's it's a fairly good-sized city, and there are many mountains and lakes, and there's a river running through the center of it with waterfalls. So it's got a lot of natural beauty. Uh, there's a skiing resort just a half an hour from downtown. And there's, as I said, lakes all over. So many people have lake cabins that they go to in the summertime. It was actually home to the 1974 World's Fair, apparently. So, uh, I, like, Paris, you know, had its World's Fair and that gave us the Eiffel Tower, amongst other fabulous things. What was left behind from the Spokane World Fair? What? I see you laughing, everybody. I have to point that out in the podcast. You can't see Jennifer, but she is laughing that I brought this up. Yes. Uh, so downtown along the river used to be a um, train station. Rail. I think it was – actually, I don't even know if it was a station, but railway tracks because Union Pacific Railway used to be based in Spokane. And so they turned that into a giant park. And also there is uh, this big – What's it called? It's a big white dome thing that an IMAX theater was built in. And so it's still this amazing park right in the center of downtown. And I think it's like the second largest urban park. Oh, dear. No, don't quote me on that. Never mind. Edit that out. (laughs) But it's a very large urban park. So it's a really beautiful part of the city right downtown. What's the food like in that part of the U.S.? Uh, Lots of seafood. um, Great salmon. Uh, that's one thing I really miss here. The salmon here is just not the same. Uh, lots of uh, well, good wine now because when I was growing up, it was not a wine region. Now it is, and I'm thinking like in the mountains, you have all the berries and uh, mushrooms. Uh, so really great seafood. Also, there is uh, some pretty good cattle 
uh, so yeah, beef. But I always think of seafood when I think of the the area. Uh, did you grow up wanting to be in food in the food industry, or did that come later in life? That came later in life. I was an incredibly picky child. <laughs> so, although it's funny because my I remember my very first experience with escargot. I absolutely loved them. And that was, I was probably eight or nine years old. But other than that, I was living off of, on uh, like peanut butter, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. I loved really sugary cereals, but I also loved my Italian grandmother's cooking. So anything she made, I loved. But other than that, I was pretty picky. I did want to talk about her uh, in a minute, but just to pick up on something that you just said. Uh, how do you equate I, – I, I'm having a problem equating <laughs> a picky child to eating escargot. I know. I know. I don't know. Maybe I was, I was a picky yes, child yeah. and I wouldn't eat tomatoes, <laughs> fresh tomatoes. No, wasn't going near them. I'd have tomato sauce. I'd have tomato uh, on with lasagna, lovely tomato sauce with lasagna or just ketchup out of a bottle. But I wouldn't go near a raw tomato. Um, I probably also would not have gone near escargot. What? What? Why did you love escargot? I, I I remember the first time where we were. It was this old mansion down in part of an old part of downtown that they turned into this nice restaurant. I think my dad was celebrating something work related, and so it was a French inspired restaurant. And I just I just thought the food was amazing, and those escargot. Well, you put enough garlic and butter on anything how bad can it be (laughs) i know i do love that i always think in my head whenever somebody says that they love escargot and it's like because i love it as well but i actually don't love it for the escargot i love it for the garlic and the butter (laughs) yeah the the bread afterwards exactly so you've just mentioned that your grandmother she was a food hero of yours why was this Well, she, my dad's side, his parents both came from the southern part of Italy and they moved, they ended up in Walla Walla, Washington, which is now a wine destination. But can you say that again? Where is this? What is this? (laughs) Walla Walla. Walla Walla, Washington. How do you spell that? W A L L A W A L L A. (laughs) Is this where the World Wide Web came from? (laughs) Walla Walla, Washington? Should have, but no. Uh, no, they had this. Um, they had huge gardens and lots of fruit trees and a mountain cabin in the Blue Mountains in Oregon, where we would go in the summer and pick huckleberries. And she just everything was very simple. Um, her meatballs were incredible. All of her food was just so good. Her green beans, I still make them to this day. Again, lots of garlic and olive oil and just green beans simmered really slowly for hours. They're just divine. So. I, all of her food was amazing, and I think that the, I know that's where my love of good food came from. But later, I loved it as a kid, but I didn't appreciate it as much as I appreciated it as an adult. Did so. she grow the green beans? Oh, yeah. Everything was grown. Yeah. And she it was canned the same everything. with my grandmother. Yeah. yeah. It's something about that, isn't it? It's, a, oh. it's that it's a memory, a food memory that I still have. Yes. It's just this idea of this just green beans growing in my grandmother's garden and then her cooking them um, with a roast lamb. Oh. Yeah, the flavor was different. And we were eating uh, zucchini flowers that she would stuff with ricotta and fry and uh, just oh, so good, so good. Oh, yeah, I know. Uh, who sparked your interest in France? 
Oh, uh, my high school French teacher. Uh, her name, she, so she was, I went to a small Jesuit high school. So she was Irish Catholic. So we had to call her Man, well, Miss O'Grady. So she was Mademoiselle O'Grady. <laughs> and she was. That rolls off the tongue really easily. <laughs> She was great because we didn't just sit there and conjugate verbs and learn vocabulary. She brought in films and music, and we did extra credit uh, going to French films at this one little art uh, movie house, uh, cooked French dishes. I got extra credit for making croissants from scratch when I was 16 and doing chocolate mousse. And we had to learn... We had to learn the map of Paris, and then we would get a, have a test on where all the monuments were. So the first time I came to Paris, I knew where everything was. I knew where Montmartre was and the Arc de Triomphe and everything. So she just – and she would spend every summer in France. So she would come back and at the beginning of every year tell us about the food that she ate and how people dressed, how it was different than in Spokane. And I just was so fascinated by it. My family – because of the Italian side, did not understand my fascination with France. Of course <laughs> then, not, no. And when we moved here, my dad, I remember him saying, why Why not Italy? What's, you know, what's wrong with you? So, yeah, so the first time I came, uh, it was a little bit of a culture shock. I remember my friend came on this school trip when we were 16 and the summer, and we were like thrown on the, onto the Champs-Élysées, and it was you know, the waiters were very cold and we, it was quite shocking. But then once we traveled through, we went to Bordeaux and down to the South to Nice and Avignon. I was, I was in love. So. You have a really successful blog about France and French food. Uh, how did you then get into cheese? Ah, well, so I started the blog about 16 years ago, and the poor thing, I have not updated it in a year. I'm going to be doing that very soon. It's kind of on life support at the moment. But I was um, in a, so we used to live down in the Languedoc-Roussillon for the first about nine years we were here. And I was in Narbonne at their amazing covered market. Oh, I said the word. <laughs> and uh, was standing. There's about well, there were about three or four little fromagerie stands in there, and I was standing in front of one of them and looking at all the cheeses, and realized that I kind of only really recognized about a dozen of them, and there were probably fifty or sixty. And I just had this inspiration to try to taste all the cheese, and I thought it would be good material to write about, and I thought it would be really easy because I thought there were five hundred or so. And so I just started buying cheese and taking notes and, and writing about cheese and came to learn that there are probably, according to French dairy farmers, between 15 to some say as much as 1,800, I'm not exactly sure. Many of them are made by one person, one farmer, one small producer. So a lot of them don't travel to the cities. They're sold at local uh, shops, markets, uh, given to restaurants. And so you really have to travel outside of the cities to get the cheeses. So I've had about 450 so far, uh, but I have a long, long way to go. So, but that's, it was just standing in front of a little cheese stand and it got excited about it. 
So. I'll just tell our listeners, you, you said the word market before. Um, it's actually market day that we're recording this podcast <laughs> here. And uh, my golden retriever, Lenny, um, one of my golden retrievers, <laughs> Lenny, uh, is usually taken to the market on market day at this time. So um, we're just not saying that word, even though I said it about four times now. And he's not looking at me. Not he's not asleep. Okay. So that's good. He's not barking. So that's okay. So then in relation to tre- cheese, have you done any professional training then? No, no. Yeah, I've just, uh, let's see, have I done any? Well, I've done some tasting workshops, but more like pairing uh, and reading, 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 memorizing. And yes, so I do want to do, there's a class now in the UK uh, that you can do virtually, but I might try to do that soon just to see if there's more I can learn. There's always more to learn, really. 1,500 cheeses in France. How on earth are you going to be able to taste 1,500 cheeses? Well, I don't know if I'll ever be able to finish this project, but I will die trying. (laughs) Well, that was going to be my other question. How's your cholesterol with all of this? Or is cheese good for your cholesterol? Uh. Well, cholesterol is a lot of it's related to your genes, so you can't really say yes or no. Um, I have not had my cholesterol checked in a few years, but I don't. I probably do eat cheese every day, but not in great quantities. I'm not tasting every day because I'm not finding a new cheese every day. I'm only finding a new one like every few months. So at the moment, um, I did get 10 new ones at this cheese event back in February, which was exciting. Uh, so yes, I the salon de fromage. Yeah, the salon de fromage. Yeah, that yeah. was a fantastic event. A fantastic. Oh, you were there. Event. That's right. And you, I was there. So you now live in Paris. Yes, we've been here for about eight years in Paris, full time. And what brought you to Paris? Ah, so the founder of a company called Paris by Mouth that does food tours, small group food tours. So Meg, uh, well, Meg and Barbara, Barbara's no longer with the company. She's still a friend, but about eight and a half years ago, Meg called me up and kind of invited me to come here, have us move here so I could work with her to do uh, the walking tours of the neighborhoods and a French cheese and wine workshop. Food and walking tours is uh, something very close to my heart. I mean, after MasterChef, I set up a a walking tour business in Melbourne. What's your favourite thing about showing people around on a tour? Uh, Just, well, there's several favourite things. Some of these people have the most amazing stories and backgrounds, and I love promoting that and getting people excited about that. And just seeing the visitors enjoy getting kind of behind the scenes look at things, how things are made or appreciating the culture and the lifestyle. I was hosting a tour last, so it was last summer, we were at the covered market of Saint-Germain and we were sitting outside under the galleries at this little wine store. And the, a woman who worked there in the neighborhood came in with a platter of oysters, sat down at the, the bar at the wine store ordered a glass of, I think it, well, it was bubbles, champagne maybe, and just sat there on her lunch hour, ate her oysters, drank her champagne. And these Americans were like, oh my God, 
like this little vignette of life that people take time to appreciate a moment like that. And I think it inspires them to go home and take time to appreciate just small pleasures. So I love, I love it when they, you see them get excited about things like that. I've had to stop people from trying to put their head in uh, in chocolate. Um, also, you know, uh, pushing people out of the way of trams. Uh, what's the what's the funniest experience you've had, um, or the hairiest experience you've had uh, with doing tours? Nothing comes to mind other than. Oh, yeah. I mean, once I had a, I don't know, he was 10 or 11. And France, most shops, especially Paris, are a look and do not touch kind of place. (laughs) You know, you don't go in and grab things. And this kid, uh, we go to some cheese shops where it's all open shelves and there's signs everywhere in English, please do not touch, please do not touch. He would not stop grabbing stuff. And then when we went to the chocolate shop, same thing. And I was like, I wanted to take his hands and like hold them every time we went into a shop. But I wasn't his parent, so I couldn't do that. So that was probably, I've never had anyone try to dip their head in chocolate, thankfully, or lick cheese or anything. You're listening to Fabulous and Delicious, the podcast that's all about French food and the wonderful and fabulous people that make it. If you'd like to support the making of Fabulously Delicious, then there are many ways that you can do this. The first, possibly the most important, is to follow wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a review and a rating. A five-star one, well, that would be fabulous, especially if you're listening on Apple or Spotify. Share Fabulously Delicious around with your friends, family, co-workers, or anyone that you know loves French food, or just food in general. Are you a Patreon member? Well, if you can support Fabulously Delicious by becoming one, for as little as the price of a cup of coffee a month, you will receive exclusive Crave content just for you. You can find out more through the link in the show notes of this episode. On to today's topic, the Cantal. Uh, First of all, have I pronounced it correctly? Yes, Cantal. Great. I always uh, always get a fret about that. About halfway through the podcast, I'm going to ask if I pronounced it correctly, which would be terrible for any SEO uh, things going on, that I might <laughs> be pronouncing something that's completely different and nobody's searching for. Um, and where is this cheese from? Well, it's produced in the Cantal mountain range. So that is kind of the centre of France. It stretches across most of the well, parts of the Auvergne and also into a bit of the uh, Aveyron and the well they've changed the department names now as I always think of the old ones so Occitanie the um, Nouvelle Aquitaine uh, and the Auvergne Rhone Alps so there's producers uh, stretching across most of those areas or parts of those areas I should say have you been to that area? Is it the mountain range? Is it? Is it? Have you been there? What's it like? Well, I've driven through it numerous times. When we go down to our house in the south, we pretty much take the A75 straight down, and it's very remote. Uh, it's, I think the most the Auvergne is the least populated region in France. So yeah. natural beauty. Uh, in the summertime, it's very popular for camping vacations and very outdoorsy. Vacations. Oh, I love camping. Yeah. I am camp. Yes. 
Do you go down there? Have you ever been there? <laughs> no, I don't do camping. Okay. Um, I previously said that. Um, I, I am camp. I don't do camping. Um, but no, I haven't. But it's I des- I do want to go. Isn't it where all the, the volcanoes are? Yes. So it's where yeah. they're, oh. they're now extinct volcanoes. But yes, of course. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Extinct or dormant? Oh, I believe extinct. Okay, good. Because yeah. we don't want any super volcanoes or anything erupting too close to where all that fabulous cheese and wine no, is. No, no. I've lived through yeah. one of those, Mount St. Helens, back in 1980, Ooh. so I don't need to dive through another volcano. No. no. <laughs> also, I don't think the house would do too well, you know, the cracks with the movement. If we yes. had like a volcano, no, not good. Yeah. Okay. No. Extinct, not dormant. Um. So – Back to the cheese, there's a, a raw milk version um, called a Cantal Fermier. And yes. then, is that right? Yep. Yes. And then a pasteurized one called a Cantal Latier. Yes. So, can you fill us in? Um, what's the relationship? So, basically, what is raw milk and what is pasteurized cheese for those, okay. those of us that don't know? Okay, well, first of all, the Fermier version means that it's made by farmers. So, the people who are making the cheese. Also, how they own the animals, they're taking care of the animals. So, usually very small production. And then the laitier would be the dairy version. So, dairy version means f- different farmers are selling their milk to the dairies, and the cheese is made there in the dairies. So, pasteurization in the cheese world, you're heating the milk to about 161 degrees Fahrenheit for a, like 15 seconds or so. So it's very fast and it is killing off all of the natural molds and yeasts and enzymes and microbes and things that live in milk naturally. Not that that's a bad thing, um, but you're leaving the milk flavor after you've pasteurized it very simple, very kind of just milky and buttery. So pasteurized cheeses, sometimes they'll add to get more layers of flavor, some different starter cultures and things. But it really does make the cheese less interesting and not as complex as the flavors that mother nature gives us. So it doesn't mean it's a bad cheese. I just find them very different with the hard pressed. Well, with the cheeses like a Cantal because, because they're aged longer than a fresh cheese, like a, an industrial camembert versus a raw milk camembert are completely different flavors. Very, very different. A Cantal that's pasteurized versus non-pasteurized, I find less of a difference, but they are still slightly different. In relation to the raw milk um, cheese, so the fermier part of it, there's been lots of controversy regarding especially French raw milk cheeses in Australia, but just Mm, in general raw milk cheeses in Australia. It's highly regulated, and in some places it's just not even allowed. Is that the same in the U.S.? Yeah, you must have talked with Will Stubbs about all of that. I did, yeah, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Will was fabulous, yeah. yes. So currently in the United States, federally, so the countrywide, if a cheese is under six zero, sixty 60 days old and raw milk, it is not allowed to be imported to sell commercially. Now, also, if you're making cheese in the U.S. and it is raw milk, Technically, you're also not supposed to sell it. All of this is due to listeria and E. coli. 
Uh, the last time I read about it, it was back in the 1940s. There was a listeria outbreak related to raw milk cheese. So the FDA uh, slapped this rule onto raw milk cheeses, and it's still there. And there's a lot of controversy around it because there have been more outbreaks of listeria in the United States related to pasteurized cheeses since this law went into place versus unpasteurized. Uh, so a lot of it now is politics. The dairy lobby is very strong. Um, I mean, this is, I've talked to people about this. This is kind of my theory is that the dairy lobby wants to keep the European and, and all of the other cheeses out because it's a lot of competition for them. But then I've also heard from other people visiting in different states. Some states are extremely strict and other states, if I'm a small cheesemaker in California and selling kind of on the sly at a market or something, the local officials often look the other way. Not importation, but like selling, making and selling commercially, locally, raw milk. So it, there's, uh, yeah, it's a really tough, it's a tough subject. And a lot of people have different ideas about it. There are listeria outbreaks in France related to cheese. So it's more about the health of the animal, the handling of the milk, the safety measures that are put into place. I know the last time there was an outbreak in the US, there was an interview with the owner of Jasper Hill Farms, who is based in Vermont, and they buy milk from farms around Vermont, raw milk, and they test every single batch that comes in. And they said that there's about 50% of the batches coming in do have listeria present. So it's what you do to treat the milk to get rid of the listeria. So you have to know a lot about science and it's, it's, there's a chain, a safety chain involved and that's where things break down. So, yeah, I, I, I'm not an expert on it. So I feel a little awkward talking about it because other people who are experts in it might come back and say, she has no idea what she's talking about, but oh, don't done worry about well, I've done a lot of reading. This is the internet. <laughs> like, you know, it's, Fine. No, it's no. I understand. I understand. And um, but people, please leave uh, any notes that you may have for Jennifer in the comments, but yes. um, for the episode, and um, and we'll see what happens. Yes, do it with have- a five star rating as well, please. <laughs> Thank you very much. But I have heard some of. I've heard a couple people recently say that they've read that the FDA with cheese in the bringing it back to the US. If you say that it's just for personal consumption, if you're bringing a small amount in it's not going to be a big deal. But I mean, each customs agent is different. So if you get someone on a bad day, who knows? I I don't risk it. I don't take cheeses that are young back. If I take something back, it's an older cheese that's over two months old. That I See, know. coming from Australia, we're never yeah. bringing cheese no, back from no. France. I yeah. mean, by the time it gets to you, it'll be like all, like it'll be oh, a mold that you just yeah. don't want on your cheese. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> It won't be a good one. And especially not if it's been packed in with the washing. You know, we go, when we're Australians, we go on holidays for six weeks. That's six weeks worth of washing. You know, imagine putting your lovely brie into the bag with that. It'd be terrible. Or it might add to Um, the aromas. (laughs) Might do, yes. Is that a stinky French cheese in your bag, Andrew? Or is that just your washing? Right. So many times that's been said at border control. Um, (laughs) Why is there more raw milk cheeses and dairy products here in France? I mean, my local market sells raw milk. Um, Why is this? Well, it's a very old tradition. Um, 
it's it goes back well cheese making goes back thousands of years in france it's uh, there've been in the diaries of pliny the elder there's been cheese making traditions noted back 2000 years ago so i also think france is a fairly small country and the tradition back when people were peasants and farmers cheese was a very good source of protein and food and so it was just part of their daily staple and diet and something that's been traditional here yeah Back to Cantal, um, there's different names for the different ages of Cantal, isn't there? So what are they and what do they represent? So we have three different ages. So the Jeanne or Young Cantal is called that between like one to two months of ripening. So the texture is still going to be quite soft and supple and the flavor will be more on the mild and milky side. Then we have one called entre deux which is between the two so because you also have an old version that's between 2 to 7 months old and it, the texture gets a little more firm and the flavor gets more pronounced more hazelnuts uh, more cream and sometimes a bit of herbiness then you have the vieux the old cantal which will be a minimum aging of 8 months and that texture gets a bit more crumbly and it becomes a little more spicy or peppery and some people even say animal which is more like animal more barnyardy but yeah animal i love that term so so there's the three ages jeune entre deux and vieux how is a cantal made so cantal is a pressed uncooked cheese so you have milk you curdle milk you're left with the curds which are the solids and the whey which is the liquid what they're then doing is pressing on the curds to expel the whey the less whey in a curd the longer the shelf life so for instance a camembert or brie they're not pressing on the curds they're trying to keep as much whey inside as possible that's why they're really creamy and kind of runny that means also the shelf life is a lot shorter so once you're pressed you've pressed on the curds and dried them out they are then what's called cheddared so cheddaring is a cheese making process so you have cheddar cheese which is uh primarily done in the UK and other places but uh cheddaring means once the curds are dried out it's a process to further acidify the curds and draw more of the whey out so you are adding water and then you're heating slightly stirring the submerged curds draining off the water and then you're pushing the curds together and you get what's called a tome fresh so it's this kind of pressed it's really hard to explain there's videos to look at online to kind of see what they do but they're cutting these pressed curds that are still submerged in water into big blocks and then pressing those together letting them kind of rest and after that they're grinding up these curds into small pieces and then packing them into big forms or uh cheese um what are they called well we'll call them forms they're quite big they're a small barrel size for this cheese the cheese weighs over 80 pounds so about 40 kilos and then they're letting the curds kind of knit back together and then they'll take them out of these big forms and then they get the rind to form so that is basically the process um 
hope I explained that well. So cheddaring is quite unusual in France. There's only three cheeses that have been cheddared here. So that's what we, it makes the Cantal a bit more crumbly texture. That's what the cheddaring does. Where if you eat something like a, a Conte or a Gruyere, the texture is very smooth. With the Cantal, its cousin, Laiole and Salers, the texture is very crumbly, like a, a farmhouse cheddar. So that is what cheddaring does. You mentioned before it's from the Auvergne region. Are there any other cheeses that we might know that are from that region? Uh, Saint Nectaire, you might know. Um, also, um, Forme d'Ambert is from the region. Um, well, the, I mentioned the Salers and the Laiole. And there's another one, which I'm drawing a complete blank. But yes, it's a region well known for cheeses. We probably should have started with this question, I think, um, and that is, the, what's its origin story? How did it first come about? Uh, so, it, as I mentioned, it was mentioned in the diaries of Pliny the Elder, uh, the Cantal mountain range. So, mountain mountain ranges, mountain regions are the first regions where these big, hard cheeses were first created. If you think back a couple thousand years ago, people living in these areas would get snowed in every winter, so they needed food to survive on. So they created, they would smoke meats, uh, they would cure meats, so they would have charcuterie to live off of over the winter when they couldn't get out and go hunting. They would create these big, sturdy wheels of cheese that they could slowly cut pieces off of and live off of most of the winter time. So cheese is a good source of protein. So that's really where the tradition comes from, is uh, the people in the mountains needing food to survive on, very simply. Yeah. With cheeses that are like this, that are named after regions, uh, how do you find like the best version of that cheese? You, yeah, do your research basically. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some are more well known than others, um, and many or of them. Or trusting your cheesemonger. Yes, trusting your cheesemonger. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, so yes, some will work. Some cheesemongers will work with the different either dairies or producers, and if you're going to a good cheesemonger, then you're going to get a good. Good cheese, yeah. Uh, why is Cantel one of your favorite cheeses? I like its diversity because you can cook with it as well. It's a good snacking cheese, the older versions, and then the younger versions are used in a lot of different dishes, so they, they melt really nicely. Also, you see here in France now a lot of Cantel burger, so it's made with the meat of the cows living in the Auvergne and then has the melted Cantal on top. So it's a good, it's a good cheese. Fabulous. Yeah. We like that. A Cantal burger. <laughs> I'm going to have to go out and find that one. Yes. Um, I did love also that you just mentioned it's a good snacking cheese. And the first thing that came to my head is uh, when you live in France, isn't all cheese good <laughs> snacking cheese? Well, Yes, yes, I guess technically, but it's something that you can just kind of nibble on. Um, because it has so much protein in it, cheese is something I often eat in the mornings instead of an egg or something because it gives me some protein to keep me going until lunchtime. And I find a cheese like Cantal, because it's not like a Munster or a really heady blue. It's something that's kind of easy to enjoy just to snack on. I need to tell you a secret. Okay. 
So I shouldn't actually say this. If if my husband is listening, please stop listening. Um, press pause and then fast forward for a couple of minutes. Um, but when I'm preparing dinner, mm-hmm. I often will have a little snack, Snacking. you know, a pre-dinner snack of whatever's cheese is in the fridge. Um <laughs> And then, and then the next day, when um, Peter wants to know, "Have we got any cheese for dinner? <laughs> Sorry, for lunch? Have we got any cheese for lunch?" Oh no, I don't know what happened to the cheese. I have no idea. <laughs> That's just between us, okay. listeners, right. and Jennifer. Yeah. Okay. My lips just are between sealed. <laughs> Great, Alex, a seal. Finally, Jennifer, the question I ask everybody that's been on Fabulously Delicious, what to you is the most fabulous thing about France? Oh, the lifestyle, the appreciation for good food, for taking holidays, for not rushing through a meal, um, the finding good regional products and food. And also just how beautiful this country is. Every region has its own kind of style and architecture. And it's a beautiful, delicious place to live. Yeah. Yeah. It certainly is. And Jennifer, I think uh, that's just been a fabulous chat about cheese and I'm inspired now. And also, I've got a challenge for you, I think. I don't think we know enough about you. And so I'm sure we could do another episode where we could talk more about you and and being in France, etc. But then what we need is the challenge is, I think maybe in about six months' time, you need to come to us with a cheese that we wouldn't know about that has a fabulous history and and you can teach us all about that. So I don't want to know what it is now, okay. but okay. I think maybe in about six months' time, after your summer tourism adventures uh, oh, yes. are all finished <laughs> up, um, we can talk even more things, Cheese. Okay. Oh, I have one in mind, actually, already. But And the other challenge is that you need to get over that 500 mark on the 1,500 yes. Cheese. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I know. By then. Seriously? I'll give you six months. Okay. Oh, that's not very <laughs> much time <laughs> i know it's come on you I can know. do it i'm gonna have to rent a car and start driving i don't have time yes it's all right <laughs> it's okay oh you can come down and borrow our car but okay. you sharon to lots of goat's cheese down here i actually was an au pair out not very close to angoulême oh. and cognac when i was 21 oh, yes. so i know that yeah. part of the the quattro charles a little bit so. yes well Jennifer Greco, thank you so much for teaching us all about the Cantal cheese and uh, I can't wait to hear more about fromage in the future with you. Jennifer, thank you for joining us on Fabulously Delicious today. Thank you so much and I look forward to coming back. Ah, Merci beaucoup. Can't wait. Bye. Thank you. Au revoir. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the Professional, professional book, book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? 
You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy happy reading. reading!